Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. So how was everyone's week? Is everyone is anyone else uh, running a novel this month? <laughs> I'm not. Um, but I'm gonna it's do that someday. Sucking. So I've gotten like, you know, four paragraphs instead of twenty pages, which I'm supposed to have about every projection. I I did actually start uh, blogging again a couple weeks ago, and I've been keeping up uh, at least a post a day. And like I think I last I checked I what had a Q of five. Whatever the crap I want. Usually it's at least two paragraphs, maybe more. Right now I've been recounting the history of my increasingly misnamed and possibly soon to end D and D campaign, uh, before I forget everything that's ever happened. And I'm almost finished with the first year. Uh, I restarted my blag because I wanted to post a review of Merck's. <laughs> and, yeah, you're well, like this. Great. I'm, I'm painting things again, but yeah. I'm I'm not Nanorima main. Is, is your review is the second edition of this game is going to be great? No, <laughs> the third edition of that. this game is going to be great. <laughs> I'm not doing that Remo because I've realized very quickly that it was a bad decision to be writing applicate doing graduate applications yeah. and. Yeah. Well, you can have your own Rymo at some other point. Of I gotta do it in uh, Deco Rymo in March. That's where you write ten books in <laughs> the last month of the year. I'm doing it in March. I'm gonna Personal novel that. writing. Pinno Rymo. The pen is mightier than the sword. Oh, but um, yeah, a lot of other things have fallen by the wayside because, like blogging, like I tweet, but I do not blog anymore. Hardly, just because. If I'm going to write words and not, like, use my thumbs on my phone to do it, <laughs> I'm going to be writing a novel. I don't know how much attention novel, you really. pay, but I've been doing my damnedest to when I tweet. It, unless it's only, like, a really short thing. If it, if it gets close to 140, I try and get it to exactly 140. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, it's interesting because Twitter, it, Twitter doesn't give you a way to see somebody else's averages or their character counts. So, while I'm sure that's a wonderful, entertaining thing for you to do for yourself, there's no reason that any of us would. Yeah. Do you ever try to make them recursive? Like, what? this tweet is detaining exactly, you know, like, 140, not 140, well, like, this tweet contains exactly 17 syllables. Uh, that is not a good oh. example, because that sentence isn't oh. true, <laughs> but, like... My, I, for a while when I when I used Twitter, I tried to make every tweet like something like that, where I would have hmm. to try to make it increasingly recursive, and then it just took too much energy, and now I just don't fucking use Twitter. No, I usually only use Twitter when either I'm really pissed off or I have what I think is a cool idea. <coughs> I got a Twitter account once back when Twitter came out, and I was like, "What the hell would I ever want this?" And then stopped out. I had to get a Twitter account for a class. You had to? Yes. Was it a class on social media? It was not. Then why the hell did you? It was world readings. Uh, was that, that <coughs> professor who wears plaid and avenges or something? Yeah, and yeah. hits on undergraduate students drunk at Christmas parties. With yeah, his wife around. Hmm? With his wife around. So it was okay, apparently. 
Uh, <coughs> you know, Mary well, it was in say. character, so that's fine. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Did he come to the Christmas party as the Vlad Adventure? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, had, I, actually, I, I guess Dave is probably the only one who really if gets it's that. If character, it's not cheating. Yes. Thank you, what? Okay, so so they, they did a thing on 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 uh, like talking about LARPing and they oh, were walking the walking eye yeah. a long time ago. Are you uh, kidding me? What is it, is this gonna is this story gonna be the story I think it's gonna be? We discussed this last time. Oh, we didn't discuss that part of the yeah. particular. No, yeah. um, I wasn't here last time. So, so basically, the the upshot you, is not get murdered by depending on a couple's relationship, it may or may not be considered kosher. That if it's in character, it's not cheating. I feel like there are only so many things you can do with your genitals that stop being larping. You know. <laughs> what if you're role playing having sex? <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, already a thing. Like, it's called role it's playing. Called role play. when, when you're larping. <laughs> yeah, but it's your character <laughs> having sex, not you. Sex. Exactly. I guess like. Uh, evidently, the other thing she, that you mentioned I, I was seduced that... the barmaid, and the DM's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so much more horrible than D and D. Usually, we will veil that because. There's really just no point in talking it out, but... Really? Because the amount of male-on-male hitting-on that we've had in our campaigns has been pretty intense. <laughs> it's what? true. But you also have a couple of people here that yeah. are very comfortable playing female characters. I guess my point is, is I'm, like, not a prude about things. I just think it's... <laughs> like, there are certain, there's a certain point in which that's you can't not, argue that you didn't put your that's cheating. In, <laughs> yeah. in, in LARPing, there's also a uh, rules about touching. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if you get permission Permission to touch someone. Permission for life contact. Yes, yes. The, the, <laughs> there, there is protocols, and permission they are denied. <laughs> I guess if you were a good larper, I could buy the argument that it wasn't she. Well, here's the thing. No, <laughs> I could. No, if you were very well, good. But, but, and I mean, some of it established I think the sexual tension in LARP is one of the big payoffs for a lot of larpers. Yeah. And I, I and, and as long as it's purely in the realm of fantasy, and as long as if if some significant other has. Is aware that it's going on and doesn't have a problem with it as long as it doesn't proceed past a certain point. Well, I, that's I the only the problem. With it. That's the only question is whether or not the the partner. Uh, but that is not. That is a question for like <laughs> yeah. three people who might not have uh, exactly best. coinciding Venn diagrams yeah. of what the and, answer is, and who are likely to have not very good communication and social skills because they're workers. Uh But then, but of they course, communicate as long as they were in character. Yeah, he was also uh, talking about. Um, Back here by the door, uh, like someone who basically got their character killed because their character was in a relationship with their ex-boyfriend, and she broke up, and then, but didn't have a good excuse for her character to break up with her boyfriend's character. So, so here uh, at this point, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to say that anyone who is thoroughly interested in this. You can go find the Walking Eye, yeah, it's, and go listen to Jen's LARP experience because it is an outstanding episode. Probably runs about an hour and a half. I think that's about right. I think it was wasn't quite that long and thoroughly entertaining. It, it was. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily agree with everything she said. She was definitely a bit sensationalist, but um, well, but she also had the uh, Des Moines yeah. LARP experience, and I'm sure that well, and like I'm any other like any other franchise, it's going to be different no matter where you go. Things also have gotten. A lot more involved than when I was playing, like eighteen years ago. So what's the craziest? <laughs> then, then they were five years ago. I mean, like, what's the craziest shit that you ever experienced doing LARP? 
Um, we're getting you on tape now. We might as well. <laughs> is this on tape? Of course. <laughs> well, then I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're turning it off. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there was some, some crazy shit uh, that happened for sure. Uh, there is there some, definitely some illegal stuff that I knew about and I didn't report to anybody. And like, like drug use or that's pretty standard. Murder, uh, several things. No, no murder. Okay, but, uh, I, I, okay, I'm, we're good. Again, we're... I'm not going to go into details yeah, yeah, on tape. Um, you know, there there was a yeah. lot of weird triangles, both in and out of character. Um, I I wasn't really really deeply invested in, in it as some other people. So, you know, I kind of heard about some of the drama secondhand, but um, there was there was definitely some fucked up shit. Here's a question. <clears throat> so sex in roleplay in general. Like yeah, I mean some people are just like, no, it's not a place that I ever want to go. And it's interesting because for me, I like it, but I don't like it because it's titillating or because it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, li- I don't like it for the sexual rush. Or if if I did, I mean, I'm straight. I, I would, I would have a hard time role playing situations where I'm, you know, hitting on a man. Mm-hmm. But I do that all the time. So I think it's, I think, I think it's, it's. What what is it that I mean like? Since none of us here seem to be pretty, un- seem to be that uncomfortable with it. Is it just because it makes good story? It's just like it's a thing people do. It's, it's, yeah, it's I think it's a, it's a thing that people do, yeah. and therefore to ignore it entirely is to ignore a part of what naturally might happen in a story. Yeah, because reproduction is like, you know, if you're gonna sit, stand back, and look at this evolutionarily, it's like the fucking purpose of our existence, and that it it's a huge factor in people's lives. Whether or not they're sexually active in a relationship, or even the lack of it, is, is can be really significant if you're dealing with someone who's essentially asexual. And you can't, in order to be authentic to a character, I feel like you can't leave out the fact that sexuality is going to be a feature of their lives. It's like it's it's, it's like part of the human experience. I mean, yeah, it's like it's food. not a good story food. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you could have. I, I, it's funny because I think a lot of like. I mean, part of the problem is I think in a lot of a lot of the, a lot of this sort of things about sex and traditional role playing comes from the fact that a there's no there's there's nothing mechanically for it. It's just oh, I'm hit on whoa, the whoa 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 no. Let me tell you a story. Oh, Fatal has. Let me tell Fatal you. Fatal has a good rules for sex. I no, ran a D and D campaign, fourth edition. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> Billy, I don't know if any of you. I mean, I know some of you. <laughs> No, alright. So some of you know Billy. They're dailies, But actually. he was playing a character who had to... Who switched between being half-elf and being bladeling. Because he had a curse. Whenever he turned, rolled a one, naturally, he became a bladeling. And whenever he rolled a net 20, he became a half-elf. Is this going to turn into a vagina dentata joke? No, because he was male. Okay. However, he was having sex with a bog hag. And I did make him have se- uh, make a have sex with the bog hag roll, just to see whether or not his penis suddenly sprouted huge spikes and eviscerated her. It didn't. 
but I just wanted to point out mechanical things with sex. It's a little easier in fourth edition because there's a, you know they they take a little more modern approach to skill challenges and they like, <laughs> one, one one thing that dungeoneering kind of, <laughs> acrobatics uh, one thing that kind of bothers me about the whole topic is something that is prevalent with our our movie rating system which is you can have any almost any amount of violence blood gore death uh, but you know, a little teensy bit of sex, pity, and yeah. suddenly the the rating goes way up. Um, and I mean, part of that is that America is at its root has, has a pretty puritanical history. Mm-hmm. Um, the Puritans were pretty chill about sex as long as it was in context of a marriage. Like they were all about sex all the time. Bundling. Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, I'm, oh, you don't know about bundling. Have you ever uh, seen that commercial where like? <laughs> The man and the woman. No, like, no, 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 Bundling was um when uh, a girl was 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 coming into her uh to uh, of age when she should be considering marriage. Often um the uh and, and there was a compatible match for her at least according to their parents' view. Mm-hmm. The uh and correct me if I'm wrong here the uh the the two parents would would have a, a party. And they would get everyone would get together, and the two would be sent up and sort of shoved into bed together, basically naked. And that is a it, very common practice among many cultures. If the if, if the girl became pregnant, well, then, then that was an opportunity for her to get married. <laughs> and you were within a, a marriage. Married couples were, you know, like expected to to have sex, all you know, in a very. You think of Puritans as, as eschewing all, all pleasure and stuff like that, but sex was supposed to be the height of your experience, and it was also supposed to be the height of your connection with Jesus. And so you were supposed to think of Jesus as being... Present. Present and part of your oh, sexual experience. Oh, and that's how you make sure it doesn't end too fast. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> like baseball. Yeah. Well, you're okay. supposed to be oh, having a threesome. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. So you're... <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit! <laughs> Yeah. Encouraged you to think of yourself as having a threesome with Jesus every time you went into it, and that was just, you know. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus saying. shaves his balls. <laughs> and now that's recorded. <laughs> I, I don't think that practice was common that far long ago. Yeah, they didn't even like shave their beards. I'm just about their ball like, beards. If, if I'm going to have another man, I want to be a little bit girly. I want to be a little bit fat. Have you ever seen a pubic beard? All I can think of is uh, Harold and Kumar. Oh, that great Harold It's like Kumar. Osama Bin Laden beard down there. Oh, boy. They were right at a bottomless party. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I can, I can already tell that Monster Hearts is going to be very exciting. <laughs> Oh, boy. I just can't wait to play something. Honestly, I love DM- I love uh, MCing for you guys, but just it's it's. I'm now playing in two campaigns a week, which is like the most I've ever done, of course. And uh, it's cool. It's really cool to like actually be able to play. But that's all going to go on hiatus next spring uh, when key players go out of town. So I'm going to be like. Oh, it's one piece going on hiatus too. I would assume so. If yeah. two of the players are gone, yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I mean, <coughs> it could be the the the, <coughs> the adventures of Bison and Ophelia. <laughs> Blake would never yeah, DM that. Yeah, like a little Titan <laughs> arc. Who who else? We, is go, we go to we go to side arc. Blake and Laura. We go. Oh, they're both in the. We go on a side arc. Ophelia's new baby is old enough to be huh? replaced with someone else. That's what I asked. Side arc and Laura. Okay. That's the only. Not even good enough to be adopted. As far as I know. I thought Will was leaving at some point too. Um, in the at the end of the spring, the okay, spring, yeah. Which means and we may be coming back. Beginning of fall. Man, everybody is going up away. And again to the tech program. Yeah, I mean we're not going to be gone long. Well, I guess you will know well before you have to leave whether yeah. or not you got back into school yeah. here. And we got a good shot at getting back into the school. And I think I have a really good shot of getting into that program. Yeah, I think I have like the shot. Yeah. So we're more than likely going to be back here. <laughs> Well, that'd be cool, certainly. Uh, that is that is 100% what I want. Duncan, however, you and Wendy will also be leaving? Is that the, the, the rule? I hope to. It kind of revolves around my grade in applied fluid mechanics, <coughs> which is a hellish nightmare for less. <coughs> sounds like it. Are those the M&Ms from last time? They are. Are those peanut yeah, M&Ms? Yeah, yeah, they, they are. Peanut butter okay. I'm sorry. These, these okay. are the, the... I knew you weren't going to be there, so... But I, I well. managed to only eat like a small handful of them in the intervening week. I'm just sad because I thought it was tzatziki sauce, and then it wasn't. I know. I was like actually kind of because I'd forgotten there were M&Ms. I was kind of excited that there might be tzatziki sauce. Well, I have some yogurt that is not. So you yeah, have cucumbers? Sauce. Nope. Oh, what's tzatziki you, sauce? It's you cucumbers like, chopped up in yogurt. Yeah, you basically. take like Greek yogurt and vinegar and onions and cucumbers, and you kind of like chop everything up, and then you mix it with the and yogurt. I it's amazing. Don't think this yogurt would be very good because it's honey yogurt. Oh, no. Nah. It's not plain yeah. yogurt. Yeah. And then, um, um, right thigh is the Indian version of it, mm-hmm. which is also delicious. But it has no onion. It's a lot cooler on the palate, I think. Mm-hmm. Tzatziki has a little bit because the onion has a little bit of bite. Yeah, it has more vin- it has vinegar. Oh, really? They put yeah. vinegar in it. A little bit. Sense too. Some put a lot in it. Well, it's, a, it's a garnet. I mean, it's a, it's a condiment. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I like I it. it. For those listening, all the slapping is the fruit fly infestation. And there are a lot of them in here. It's pretty remarkable. Well, it'd be like living after the apocalypse where there's just flies everywhere <laughs> in a swamp. Eyeless flies with worms living in them. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> I know the flies are. The, <laughs> I know the flies aren't the, uh, the 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 adult adults. stage of the worms. No, I like this story better. <laughs> That's funny, like they do. Fly worms. They're tied with their own parasitic young. <laughs> well, yeah, they lay eggs in there in themselves. There was I was reading about a endovirus, a satellite virus, and an endovirus, and a megavirus, and a bacterium, and a paramecium in the gut of a fl- of a fly whose larvae that wriggled infests. and wriggled and wriggled inside her. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that infests a flea. Which infests Is it a cow? I remember it was a cow or something like that. But I just liked that there was a virus and a virus. And there was a viroid and a virus the, uh, and a virus farm, and a bacterium and a prairie farm and infests <laughs> America. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell you something, knowing science makes that poem go or that, that nursery rhyme go way longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Swallowed a single-celled organism <laughs> every day, many, many times. What we all single-celled celled celled organism all the time? Single-celled organism. Organism. <laughs> uh, 
Fun fact. A Hammond organism. I was enjoying this at work today. You know how, like, angels are the doctor class, and I found out today that the doctor I work for, her name means angel in first. Connecting a back to Poxocontrolled, and then I got psyched for this game all over. Did you tell her that? No, I did not. She would have <laughs> thought I was nuts. Did you know that NASA is talking about putting a permanent station at the moon L2 point? Really? On the dark side of the moon, floating out in space. Just because they can. I didn't think they had that much money. Um, here's here's a little secret. Um, and I've been talking, because we actually have a lot of contracts with NASA at work. Um, Now that SpaceX and Virgin Galactic are, like, operational, Mm. NASA doesn't have to fly rockets to low Earth orbit anymore. It's just not a thing they have to do. They can spend all of their money on, like, deep space exploration. Real cool things. Yeah. Yeah, especially now that they don't have to spend all their money on space shuttles. What, I mean, what, what if a lot of people have terrible for like a couple decades? Yeah. It's like, yeah. But, no. They're talking about going back to the moon manned now. They're going to set up a permanent base and land people. And then. It's cool. Isn't the L2 point. It's the one on the far side of the moon. The L1 they're, is on the near side, the, the L2 is on the far side, the L3 is on the opposite side of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And the L4 and 5 are 60 degrees out in the moon's orbit. Okay. They're the Trojan points. Okay. I looked it up today because I was curious. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that uh, you all heard about, uh, Planetron Alpha Centauri. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty awesome. We need to build a telescope just to take a picture. Because, duh. Yeah. Either that or we need to set... Actually, yeah. Um, it would take a long time to get there with current technology, like hundreds of years. Not once we figure out these warp bubbles. You know, got to figure out the warp bubbles. I don't think yeah. it's possible. They well, think it's it is, possible. but you have to blow up the solar system. It's physically possible, no. not practically. All you need is the other way around. All you it. need is like two planets worth of exotic matter. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not the energy requirements because they're actually they actually figured out a way. Like, oh wait, if we just no, change the shape of it, what happens to everything else when you? That was it. That is part of it. Is that part of it? Is what happens to what's in front of you when you go, and how do yeah. you stop? So that's one thing. The other thing, the, the energy requirement, they said, oh, it would require like, the entire galaxy worth of energy to, to do, but they said, oh, well, if you just deform the, the ring a little bit, it, it actually takes way less energy. Yeah, only, only requires like a, a small red dwarf uh, star's worth of energy. Well, no, I, I think mm-hmm. it was, So we could go out and get Nemesis out in the ring of the solar system. Look, I mean, if we can figure out it, yeah. that it works in the first place, yeah. the then we can figure out how to make it more efficient for us. There's two problems. The first is the exotic matter. There's no proof that it actually exists. Well, the second problem is uh, that as soon as you can go faster than life, you, light, you can violate causality. Regardless of how you're doing it. Why is that it. a problem? Why is everyone so violating caught up on Man, bio- Federation. causality? I'm... <laughs> you know, it ruins science fiction. Once you realize the math behind it, like, science fiction is completely ruined. No, it's, no, not. it's not. No. We, science we fiction is built par- on the math behind it. We pay- change paradigms every, like, 80 years anyway. I mean, like... I, I, I feel like quantum physics itself, like the independency of particles itself, is wacky enough that uh, causality being messed up a little bit is the least of our worries. Well, I mean, if it's already it, doing it all, all on its own all the time anyway. Well, say, say you've got... <clears throat> Say you've got two ships, two Alcubierre ships, two, two Alcubierre warp drive ships, right? So they use this. Alcubierre ships. What? 
Akubiere is the name of the guy who invented the warp bubble. Okay. Oh. In real life, not, not, not yes. what's his name from Star Trek. What? What's his name? Roddenberry? No, no, no. No, in, in First universe. Contact. I can't remember it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Akubiere is, uh, is a Mexican physicist mm. who, who discovered the warp bubble technology, potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you have them in two... Moving frames, so you say take take them. They're orbiting planets around two stars that are sort of moving towards each other, just because the stars have proper motion relative to each other. Um, and you start at the first star, and you zot across to the second star, transmit a message to the ship waiting at the second star as you're passing by, because you, you, we assume that you know your your motion in real space is is, is constant. So you're, you're in an inertial frame. You just, you know, you, you go to warp and then somehow come out of it at the other side. Transmit your message. He, in the moving reference frame, warps back. He gets there before you left. Mm-hmm. Which means that he could, like, you know, blow you up and create a paradox. Yeah, but... I mean, I, is that actually going to be a problem for the universe if it happens, or will shit something just happen that we can't predict? And will it actually even happen? Yeah, because, I mean, like, think about this. Uh, back in Aristotelian times, okay... The, there was a question of, okay, what happens if, uh, if regular matter were to interact with ether? Because ether is incorruptible, it can't be changed. It can only move in circles. So it would be paradoxical for to ever have an interaction with the regular matter. But it has to have, have that for certain things to happen. So if I were to sub- like to send something up and tap on the underside of a crystal sphere, would that annihilate the universe? Would it end up not being a problem because there weren't any fucking crystal spheres? Or ether. There might just not be any uh, any any exotic matter. Well, that there might, might just not be. Causality. Or there might just not be the laws of physics that As you're using know. to create yeah. that paradox. Yeah. Yeah. Einstein may not have been 100. percent I mean, um, he, I mean, we we pretty much know he wasn't. A, a paradigm is it's a working. It's you know it's a set of tools. What I like to say is that all the science up until now has been wrong. So I have to assume that all the science that we believe now is also wrong. Yeah. It's, it's called it's pessimistic, pessimistic meta-induction. Less less wrong than it has ever been before. <laughs> we, <laughs> I don't know that we can really make that claim. We actually huh? can't. We could just say it's more useful now. Because if you, yeah, if you look at Einstein's conception is way closer, if you, if you like actually think conceptually, way closer to Newton's, I, I mean, uh, to Aristotle's, than it is to Newton's. I, I'm still not, not sure going back how you figure that one ship could leave could could get there before the other one. It has to do with light cones. It actually has to do with um, the fact that space and time and, 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 and order of events are actually somewhat relative. Mm-hmm. Um, think of uh, to visualize this, think of uh, think of yourself as just moving slowly up. So the future is up. Okay? Sure. So you're moving straight up. In your inertial reference frame, okay? Um, and light from you is moving out to the sides. Say at a 45-degree angle. Say that's the speed of light. So the distance that light travels, the, the distance between the, this vertical line and the, the you know, horizontally over to the, this 45-degree this angle line is spatial distance, you know, that light will have traveled that far, right? So the idea is that if you have two, two, two people in the same inertial reference frame but separated by space, mm-hmm. that they're that eventually their two light cones will intersect. Sure. Okay? 
and this is sort of flat, non-expanding space, so it's already not our universe, but it's close enough o- over over short distances that it doesn't matter. And that's what's called a space-like separation. A time-like separation is two locations that are vertical from each other. That mm-hmm. is to say, I will get there. If I just sit where I am, I will get there. Or if I move a little bit, I will get there. I can get there. And then light-like separations are separations on that cone, so that I can send a message and hit that point in space-time, but I can't actually get there physically because I can't travel the speed of light. (laughs) So the the interesting thing is when you start dealing with moving reference frames, when you have another reference frame that's moving and actually sort of tilts the cone, so it's uh, if if you're traveling very close to the speed of light, um, the two the two reference cones are, are 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 tilted, and there's a weird thing that happens where points in time, because it's tilted, points in time on your line are actually further back, are, are earlier in his timeline than they are in yours. Assuming you don't, you started from some sort of. It's it's really hard to explain. Well, and we don't actually that, know point, how it would work. That, the problem is the problem is that no. That, I mean, this is according to general relativity. The point right. is that neither of these is a privileged reference frame. So, like, is is he coming from somewhere? You know, it's it, it slightly in the future and, and intersecting your thing, or are you coming from somewhere slightly in his future and intersecting? It doesn't matter. You can sort of tilt this reference frame any way you like. Um, as long as both those things are sort of moving up. Well, the problem is. So, in my reference frame, I'm going to start at my at the base of my light cone, and I'm going to move much faster than the speed of light. So I'm going to move basically horizontally over to him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to intersect him at some point way back here. Okay. However, in his reference frame, um, if he moves perpendicular to the speed of light, he's actually we'll tilt this whole thing to here, and he's actually moving. And he's going to hit me in the past. He's going to hit me in my past. So you can set up a close what they call a closed time like time like loop. Where information is transmitted and then it comes back in time and hits you before you before you would have transmitted it in the first place. So it's and that's fairly basic relativity right there. It's it's sort of weird to conceive, but it's it's the sort of the easiest way to to visualize it. And now there's a few things that they say. So one of the things is the many universe principle. It doesn't matter because what you've done is you've just created a different Two reality. Possibilities where yeah, where one one in which the, the information was received, one in which it was not. Um, or realistically, possi- like trillions and trillions of ones in which well, they received oh, and which aren't. Oh, precisely, an infinite number of different possibilities based on the number of possible states. Yeah. So you basically fork off another timeline, but there were already an infinite number of timelines anyway, so it didn't matter. The um, the second possibility is that it just happens and things work themselves out somehow. There, there are no paradoxes. Who cares? That information is somehow incorporated into the model. It was already there. It doesn't matter. The third possibility is that um, quantum fluctuations along that closed time-like loop build up to the point where they destroy anything. They destroy any other information along that loop. So it's impossible to actually transmit information. All that blue can happen, but no information can be conveyed along it. That would probably be very bad for the person trying to transmit the information. Probably. But would be consistent. That's one of those cosmic censorship principles, the idea that there's always an event horizon around a singularity. Which is actually physically not necessarily true. Yeah. But it could be that in dynamical systems, no system ever evolves to a point where the singularity is outside the event horizon. That sort of thing. Because otherwise, quantum fluctuations would throw it into a state where there would be one. I just I have a problem with relativity simply because it means the universe is a much more boring place than it could be. 
Um, I reject your reality and substitute my own. See, I don't think... <laughs> one of my favorite quotes. You know, I don't think the universe gives a fuck about paradoxes. I think paradoxes are only a problem for us because they, they are things that... We don't understand. We can't... Yeah, we, we haven't yet. evolved on a scale that deals with them. You know, we, it's not a problem for... Or, it's a problem or, for our brain. Or it's a malformed statement. Like, this, yeah. this sentence is a lie. That is... That is only a paradox because our our notions of recursion and, and allow us yeah, to construct right. something it be that's. That there's no such thing as a paradox. In fact, yeah. it's very likely that there's no such thing as a paradox, and that it's all sort of built in one way or the other. How do you kill robots <laughs> with lasers? Oh, possibly missiles. Either that, or you just have them kill people until <clears throat> a kill counter runs down. Nice. <laughs> are all robots like you started with a kill counter? Yeah, killbots are. Yeah, it, it's a Futurama. Robots are all constructed with a preset kill, con- kill counter. A zero. <laughs> yeah. Some of them. Well, depends on how advanced the robots are. Some of them are able to kill a human if, like, if it's a preservation of humankind or life yeah. in general. But only those with rule zero. So, um, I don't know if any of you read the extra. Uh, foundation trilogy by Bryn Baron Benford. Uh, the what? Oh, somebody continued the. Uh, yeah, they, they they got permission. Yeah, they, they are the, the third one is the best one. Sadly, the holes, right? Yeah, and there's still more holes that need to be filled in. But the one of my he favorite foundation of foundation bits from that is they came up with an explanation for why there are no aliens in Asimov's universe, and that is the robots realized that any aliens. Would potentially be a threat to humanity. And, and to, them all before the humans could get there. Yeah, they created, um, <laughs> uh, what is it called? The self duplicating machines. Um, uh, oh, fuck. Uh, yeah, I know you're talking about. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, but well, nanites, but a specific type of, like, the great green nanites. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. And, and basically sent them out well, to. Oh, Newman, Newman, yeah, Newman machines. Yeah, Newman machines. They, they <laughs> sent them out to scour the galaxy with, like, sufficient, uh, like, Destruct code so human humanity never even knew. I love like, that. <laughs> what so. a great idea. Nice. It's a good thing they're on our side. Mm-hmm. Until they're not. Asimov is great. Well, there was there was actually some of the older ones dealt with um, robots having trouble differentiating humans that had speciated uh, too much. I remember that. He actually does some really wonderful stories that are yeah. they're basically just ethical thought experiments. He's fantastic. Like in in like philosophy of technology and philosophy of science, you get to read Asimov because so much of it comes in, and he brings up these really interesting points. So he has some. Serious plot points too, but pretty. Well, he's coming from a very specific, very sort of logical mindset. He has a certain view of what we can do with technology and science, and it's a little dated. No, it's not even dated because it's it's actually very current in terms of what people feel like. If you look at like Stephen Hawking or something, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just extremely optimistic uh, in a way. Where it's like, okay, it could be the case that you're right, but it, it's not the kind of... We have no ability to know it just would be logically impossible for us to ever figure out, you know? You know, that that's one I think... I never really thought about it. One of the things I really like about Asimov is his optimistic viewpoint. It's one of the things I really like mm-hmm. about David Brin, is he is one of the more optimistic sci-fi writers out there. Well, um, I, I don't mean in terms of, like, you know, what the human race can accomplish and stuff like that. I mean, like... From like a logical standpoint about what is noble about progress and stuff like that. 
Well, no, I, I, I mean, like, like having read his philosophy of science essays. Oh, okay. This is like a different thing. I look. It's something I like in his fiction. It's it's just like something I don't like when I'm reading his essays, and I'm like, okay. But, but, I know I, I, I a lot of essays, but you know, oh, like, yeah. I would want to actually he, read those. He they're has, they're really good. Okay. He has books in all but one of the uh, major classifications of the Dewey Decimal System, <laughs> yes, and really. he has an introduction. Which, which one is that? Um, is it language? I think it's in no, the it's <laughs> like three hundreds, maybe. Which is like no, no. He's he's got a book in the. He has politics. I, I don't remember which one, but he has a, um, like an introduction to a book in that one. So every if you split the Dewey Decimal into ten sections, he's in, in all of them. Yeah. But there's one that he hasn't actually authored a book yet. Yeah, he's brilliant, and his works are worth reading, even in fields he has no business sticking his drum. You know, <laughs> I thought you used drum instead of nose. I'm picturing this now. It's kind of gross. <laughs> I don't know what else he has. Like so. I dip my balls in. Well, I can solve that. No. <laughs> you can't. I, I have a board game that he helped make. What? what seriously? What's yeah. it called? Star Traders. Oh. I've heard of that. It is. It is actually a pretty awesome game. But uh, Asimov helped Steve Jackson make a board game. Yes. And How I long ago was this? It was pretty. Um, Older than I am? Yeah, that box okay. looks like it might be older than you are. So I was like, didn't Asimov die? He died while I was in high ago. school, oh, which yeah, was a long that. time ago. Okay. but He died long enough, uh, recently enough that I remember being upset about I it. Thought, so I couldn't have really? been that young. Yeah. Well, I could have been pretty young, but not too young. I thought this Man, had a picture weird. of him in it, but maybe it didn't. Oh. It doesn't actually have a copyright... When Jim and Douglas Adams both went, nice. that was just start upsetting. Well, Adams was... Oh, not. did they go around the same time? No. no. It was like Adams three was like 40, wasn't he? He was 35. Oh, oh my God. He was God. younger he than I am now. He did die when Jeez. I was in Wait, Douglas school. Adams was that young? Yeah, he was only 35. I thought he was an older guy. No. Oh, no, no, no. When he was died. the Hitchhiker's Guide written? 70s? Yeah. Uh, no, 80s. 80s. Seriously? Okay. I always thought of I always thought of it as one of those sort of classic works of fiction. That <laughs> this is this is eighty seven, and there's the picture of Asimov and Steve Jackson. Asimov is the one with the awesome whiskers. Yes, <laughs> you have some tremendous. I whiskers. assumed that he was probably the one dressed nicer. Nope. Nope. Oh wait. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I thought guy. you meant. I thought you meant. Oh. Is that like mutton chops he's got there? Yeah. He, no, I see. I assume that was just like a scratch on the case. No. <laughs> well, I saw one ha- One has a beard, you know? I, like the Catholic Church, don't believe in science until it's useful. That's, as someone who's going into philosophy of science, that's a very good position to deal with if you're an engineer and if you're most people. I took a thermodynamics class a couple semesters ago, and the professor when we got to entropy, was like, all right, everybody, I'm going to teach you entropy. And nobody better raise their hands and tell me entropy's dis- been disproved. Because I don't care. It we works. use this to do things. When they come up with a better thing than entropy to model these things, I will teach that in this class. There, there's but a, for now, I'm teaching entropy. He looks like Jermaine. Jermaine? From Flight of the Concords. Yeah. Okay, I don't, I don't, I'm not really familiar with Flight of the Concords. Oh. He's the guy who, who is business. So. Yeah. 
It's it's business time. Oh, I've heard that song on Blake's phone quite a bit, and very occasionally. Business hours are over, but I don't think I've actually watched the video. Oh, it's good. But yeah, the Star Treasures game is great. But if if there is no possibility of going faster than the speed of light, that game is uh, total fail. In fact, there's not going to be any star trading uh, in time. Uh, it is Woo. the only dimensional holes. Well, you know, there's some bullshit that we yeah. can't. There's got to be some sort, but e- dimensional holes also, also violate causality. If yeah, you're just but- trading stars, <laughs> then you can use one star to power your. But then you like, don't have any stars when you travel. get there. No, you'll still have like one star left, and then you can trade. It's it. like. No, it's like shipping, uh, shipping gas. Or maybe it'll turn out that like charred stars are the thing everybody uses for their like hyperdimensional cookouts, <laughs> and so by the time you get there, you've got all these red dwarfs, and then they can throw another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Well, even if there's no, even if there's no FTL travel, you could still have. Um, Generation ships and things like that. Actually, you could, but you're not going to uh, have. But that'd be way more fun. You're not going to have effective interstellar trade. You are. Um, you have an interstellar trade and information. Like, assuming maybe there's a. We know now that there's one Earth sized planet around Alpha Centauri B. Um, it's way in. It's in way too close of an orbit to, to, to be supporting life. Oh, yeah. Well, the presence of one suggests the presence of many, because that's just the way these things are. You never just find one small planet around a star, you find eight of them. So, I mean, if there's a habitable planet there and we can colonize it, yeah, we're never going to be able to send a, a large number of Earthlings there. But, um, well, but we're also never going to send a small number of Earthlings there. You could trade there, scientific information back and forth. You could communicate. Cause it only take you four years, eight years to get a message around a trip. That's not that long. Even even some of these stars that are, you know, there's, there's, there's seven, hundreds, three and a half. hundreds and hundreds of stars that are, that are, that are within, like, 30 or 40 light years of Earth. I mean, within a human's lifespan, you can get a message there and back. Especially if we can extend that, which I think we have more of a chance of that. Well, and if we can figure out a way to, uh, uh, I can't remember the technical name for it, but to, to tie, uh, to, to quantumly connect particles oh, together. Entanglement. Yeah, entangle, that's, that's the word. You might be able to and we can create an Ansible, and then we can violate no, causality all week. can't, actually, because quantum entanglement still can't transmit information faster than the speed of light. Yes, it can. No, it actually can't. They've, like, totally done studies on this, like, this year, finding so they can it, it's, violate it. It's, is this the spooky action at a distance? It is yeah. the spooky action at okay. a distance. I, I believe, I remember them saying that, that you could verify a message at faster than the speed of light, but you could not actually transmit the information. The problem is you still have to exchange the photons. You just have to exchange the tangled particles, which means that they have to travel across the distance. You just what? need a way of maintaining the existence, because right now we don't have a way of entangling them and then keeping them in existence long enough to be viable. What if you just like well, calculate the probability that that information exists and then roll with it? <laughs> we're, we're actually, it's interesting. We're finding odd ways of getting around some things. There's like the, um, the whole momentum, position, invariance thing. Well, we now have weak measurement, or I think it's called that, where you you don't actually disturb the state of a particle by measuring enough of it that you get an idea of what it's what state it's in. <laughs> it doesn't completely overcome the uncertainty principle because waves spread out, but it's it's it, it gives you a, a much higher resolution than you theoretically should have been able to have. 
by a, a Heisenberg's logic. So it's good enough measurement. It's good enough. Yeah, sure. And it really that's what that's all, all, all measurement is in real life is yeah. just to you know a more solid example of it that you can't really like go This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.